invite you, if you can take your Bibles and go to the book of Romans, the book of Romans. Last week we talked about a, a subject of, I, I called overcoming carnality, basically just looked at a uh, few of the things that even Christians that are carnal know, no matter how carnal you are, there's some things that you simply agree with about uh, the scriptures. Um, and so what I want to do is I'm going to continue in this, and uh, what I'll do is I think, well, I'll read this, verse 14, chapter 7, we'll read down to 25. It says, for we know that the law is spiritual, but I am carnal. So that we call the confession of the flesh, is the law is spiritual, but we are carnal. In our base being, we are carnal to the core but it goes on to say, sold under sin, and sin is the issue. It says, for that which I do, I allow not. For what I would, that do I not. But what I hate, that do I. If then I do that which I would not, I consent unto the law that it is good. So even though, let's say you're living a carnal life today, and you're doing things that you know you're not supposed to do, all you know is in your heart, you know you're not supposed to do them. And if you know you're not supposed to do those things that the Bible talks about, you're consenting that the law is a good thing, no matter where you're living in your life. So every carnal Christian, I believe, at some point, uh, they have to acknowledge that they're consenting that the law is good. I remember I had a friend one time, and every time I talked to him, he went away from the Lord, quit going to church, and... Um, Every time I talked to him, I said, you know, you know you're not supposed to be living like this. Said, yeah, I know. I know. Every, t every time I talked to him, he knew. <laughs> he knew. He knew. You know, and the thing is, you do those things sometimes you don't want to do, and you know you shouldn't do them, but you do them anyways. You're living in a carnal state, but even in that carnal state as a believer, you're still consenting that the law is good. And that's how you know a person's actually saved. So you can live in a carnal state, you can be in a carnal state, but you're miserable because the law has exposed to you already that you are wrong and you're in agreement with that. Amen. It goes on to say, now then, it is no more I that do it, but sin that dwelleth in me. That's an important principle. There is a sin principle in your life that you cannot remove right now. That's going to be with you till Jesus comes. So if you're not going to take some action here as a Christian and make some decisions that are going to help you, that sin principle is going to be what's going to run your life. Now, it may not be the drinking and the dope smoking and all that kind of stuff, but folks, if you're not careful, that sin principle will get back in control of your life and you're going to live a miserable existence as a child of God. So that's why I wanted to teach this lesson because there are something we need to know for us as believers to actually overcome the carnality that is within us. And every one of us has that potential to be carnal to the core. And yet we don't have to be if we don't want to be. And that's what I want to talk about here in this, in this message. So it goes on to say, For I know that in me, that is in my flesh, dwelleth no good thing. For to will is present with me, but how to perform that which is good, I find not. So there's the problem. The problem is I have the will to do right, but how to do right, I don't have that put together yet. And I find that I'm always doing what I don't want to do, and if there's something I'm supposed to do, I don't do it. <laughs> Amen. Because the sin principle is too, too powerful in my life. My flesh is in control of my life. And that's what needs to change for us. Like I said last week, there's three states that you're in today. One of these three. You're not in two of these three. You're in one of them. The first state is the natural state. The natural state is a lost man. That's a person that does not have a spirit that's born again. Not regenerated. Now, if that's the case, then you really don't know what you're supposed to be doing. In fact, you don't consent that the law is good. In fact, many lost people, they're actually against the Bible. 
because they know it's going to expose their wrong and they will not accept it. So the natural man cannot be led by God, cannot be profitable for God, and there's nothing really that you can do about that until Christ comes in your heart and you become born again. Now the second state that man can be in is saved but carnal. And that's really what we've been hitting here in these passages. You can have a regenerated spirit, but your soul is not necessarily sold out to the Lord because the fact that you have not given yourself to the process of what you need to become in order to overcome the flesh in your life. So these people that say that just because you get saved, you'll automatically just live the right kind of life, it's not true. It's going to take a decision on your behalf. And it's going to take decisions all the time. It's going to take a decision every time you open up your eyes in the morning of what kind of person you're going to be that day, on who you're going to listen to. Am I going to listen to that flesh in my life? Or am I going to submit myself to the Lord this morning? Because that's really what it's all about. The Bible talks, and we we looked at that in Romans chapter 5 or Romans chapter 6, to whom you yield your members, that's who you are servants to. Amen? So if your flesh is in control and you're all bent out of shape and people haven't treated you right and you slept on that, you woke up with that bitterness in your heart, you're going to go to work and guess guess who's in control? (laughs) The flesh is in control. But when that person did you wrong and you immediately submitted to the, the spiritual things, the word of God, and you forgave them even though they were wrong in what they did, and you went to bed with peace in your heart, you woke up in the morning, you looked up to the Lord and said, thank you, Lord, for waking me up this morning. Help me to follow you in the day that I have today. You open up the Bible, you get some scripture in your heart that you can meditate throughout the day. You keep yourself clear of that wickedness in this world. See, a, a saved person can live a carnal life but you're miserable. You can have a born-again spirit that's connected with God, and you can feel it. That conviction comes on you, and that's what the Apostle Paul is talking about. I know I shouldn't be doing this. I know I should be doing better, but you never seem to get over that obstacle in your life. Amen? Well, can I tell you something? You can get over that. (laughs) And that's what I want to get at today. And so it says, for the good... That I would not, that I, the, for the good that I would, I do not, but the evil which I would not, that I do. So now we're talking good and evil. Now, if I do that I would not, it is no more that I do it, but sin that dwelleth in me. That's twice in this passage. It talks about this sin that dwells or abides with you and is with you 24 7. I find then a law that is when I do good, evil is present with me. For I delight in the law of God after the inward man, but I see another law in my members, warring, after, warring against the law of my mind and bringing me into captivity to the law of sin, which is in my members. And this is his conclusion. Oh, wretched man that I am. <laughs> Have you ever gotten to that place? You're like, oh, wretched man. Oh, Lord, I want to do so much for you, but I'm so wretched. Who shall deliver me from the body of this death? I thank God through Jesus Christ, our Lord. So then with the mind, I myself serve the law of God, but with the flesh, the law of sin. Let's pray. Father, I just ask you, Lord, that you would give us understanding in this passage today, that, Lord, you would help us see the great victory that we have in Christ. Lord, help us to be honest about ourselves today. And Lord, to choose to be the kind of person that you want us to be. Not a carnal saved person, but a spiritual saved person. Thank you, Jesus, for that potential. We would never have that without you. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So we looked at the confession of the flesh, and that is simply that the law is spiritual It's not just simply something to make you do something different. It's not about what you do on the outside. It's not about changing your diet. It's not about, you know, don't do this and don't do that. In fact, if you look at Deuteronomy, and the word Deuteronomy means the second law, when Moses reiterated the first law the second time, he began to bring in words like 
love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, thy mind, thy soul, thy body. And so what he was doing is, remember that law that I gave you, I'm bringing it to another level. I'm, I'm trying to help you to see that it has to go in deeper than just simply the behavior that you're trying to, trying to manage here. Now, this should have brought them to the place where they realized, I can't do this. Because without Christ, there is no loving God. Without Christ, you can't love people. Without Christ, you can't do anything like that. But that is the law's purpose. The law is spiritual. But I am carnal. And so we got to come to this confession. The law is spiritual, but I am carnal. Folks, have you come to that conclusion in your life? I'm not saying you're not a spiritual Christian today, but do you know in your base, uh, your base uh, sin nature that you are carnal? And you know that every day, don't you? Because that, that flesh kind of rears its head every day and gives you an opportunity to do wrong every day of your life. And you would if you would obey it in the lust thereof. But we don't want to be like that today. In fact, if I'd go chair by chair today and I'd ask you, what kind of Christian do you want to be? And if you are saved here today, you would say this, Pastor, I would like to be a spiritual Christian. It doesn't mean you are one, but I know in your heart you want to be one because there's not a born-again person on this planet that does not want that. That's a part of what's inside of you, what Christ put in you, amen? But now you're in this battle between these two things, this, this law of the flesh, of sin that's in you, controlling your flesh, and the law, the God's law. And when your mind, you're trying to submit to that and saying, Lord, I want to do right because I know you're in me, but you know what? I don't know how to do it. That's where you got to find yourself. So you're saying, Pastor, I've been carnal. I've been living a carnal life. I've been really following what I want to do. Well, let me ask you this. Do you want to change? Do you want to be spiritual? Now, like I said last time, spirituality isn't this nirvana state. You're not going to wake up one day and hit this state of nirvana, this state of spirituality. What spirituality is, is you waking up in the morning and making the right decision. And then you go into work and making some more right decisions. And then throughout the afternoon, you're making more right decisions. And then when you start thinking about wrong things, you make another right decision to cast those thoughts out. It's all about what's going on right here in this mind of yours. It's what it's all about. And so the natural man, the carnal man, and the spiritual man. So we are all one of those three things today. If you're natural, you need to be saved. If you're carnal, you need to know how to serve God by submitting your mind to the Lord. That is really the key here. If, you are, if you're a Christian and you are spiritual, your decision must be, Lord, help me to continue to make right decisions, to continue to feed my mind what it needs, and to stay away from those things that are trying to feed my flesh. Because just because you're spiritual today doesn't mean you're spiritual this afternoon. It all depends what you put in that mind of yours when you turn on that little knob on the TV, amen. It changes pretty quick from spirituality to carnality, amen. And I think it's just good for us to understand that that's how quick it can happen. Like you're under, you're under a, a really strong delusion if you think you've reached a place where you don't have to worry or be concerned about your spiritual life. I am talking every hour of this day. You know, what, what verse was I? I'll, I'll, it'll come to me. I don't want to go there because I'll, I'll just look like a fool. Amen. Because I won't remember it. You'll think I'm old. Amen. Anyways, a Christian that is carnal. Remember last time I was talking about Christians that were carnal. I'll give you some insight here. And I'm going to give you one more, a couple more points about this. A Christian that is carnal will harm people, though they do not necessarily desire to harm people. Because when you're carnal and you're caring about yourself and fulfilling your flesh, you will automatically hurt other people. But that's not your goal. Your goal isn't to hurt other people. Your goal is to feed your flesh. 
So you see yourself hurting people and you feel bad about it because you're a Christian. So the Bible says here, for the good that I would, I do not, but the evil which I would not, that I do. You know what that means, evil? That means actively causing harm. Harm. Now, many times when we're carnal, we don't even know what harm really is. It's kind of like a child that disobeys their parents. They're so self-centered and selfish, they don't realize the pain that their parents are going through. And they don't even realize the pain that others around them are going through. And they don't realize the hurt that it brings upon that family as other people see this child do the things that that child does. Because that person is so enwrapped in their own selfishness, yet they're doing evil. Sometimes as a Christian, you may say, well, pastor, I want to do something in the church. And if you don't handle that right, if you're not a spiritual person, you can actually desire to do something in the church in the flesh. Now, the moment you do that, what you're going to start doing is hurting others. Because now it's not about the Lord bringing me to a place by his grace and his strength. Now it's about me manipulating my way to that place. Folks, whenever you try to ascend, someone else must descend. Do you understand that? Whenever you want to lift yourself up, you will always bring somebody else down. But that wasn't your goal. Your goal wasn't just to harm people and to do evil to people. Your goal was to lift yourself up. Do you understand that's what the flesh does? It's constantly doing that. Whatever you do in your flesh is going to cause harm to you and to people around you, even though you don't necessarily desire for evil to take place. That's why in this passage, I don't know if I have it here, 1 Corinthians 3, it says, And I, brethren, could not speak unto you as unto spiritual, but as unto carnal, even as unto babes in Christ. I have fed you with milk and not with meat, for hitherto you were not able to bear it, neither yet now are ye able. What a rebuke. It says, For ye are yet carnal, for whereas... There is among you envying, strife, and divisions. Are ye not carnal and walk as men? <laughs> These are people in a local church. These are people that are thinking they are something in their local church. Then it goes on to say, For while one saith, I am of Paul, and another, I am of Apollos, are ye not carnal? Well, I'm just behind this guy here. This is my favorite preacher. Well, this one's my favorite preacher. And you know what? It's because he preaches on this and he does a good job of that. And you say, well, that's spiritual talk. But it's amazing that when you're in the flesh, to me to have a favorite preacher, I have to tear down the other one. See, your flesh will always do evil. See, the Apostle Paul is saying you're carnal. Well, all we're doing is talking about who the best preacher is. We like this guy. The guy likes that guy. But the problem is when you think like that, there's someone else that isn't the best. The flesh always does it. The church is not designed for the flesh. It's designed for the spiritual man. You cannot, and folks, if you ascend... In a church, in the flesh, that church is dead. That church is dead. There ought never be a fleshly person exalted to a position. Well, you're not fair. No, just stop being carnal. Why don't you do what the Bible says? Why don't you just become what the Lord wants you to be? Why don't you at least get on that road and say, Lord, I want to become what God wants. It doesn't say you've got to be perfect because we know in this we're battling. We know there's a struggle going on. But all it is, it's about, Lord, this is what I want to do. I'm going to submit to you. My members are submitted to you, Lord. That's when he begins to exalt you. But you can't cut somebody up so you can do something in the church. 
That's flesh. The flesh will always tear down. Always. And you want to know if you're in the flesh? You just write down the words that you spoke yesterday. <laughs> you record yourself throughout the day and re rehearse that. Just forget that you're recording yourself because then you'll pretend like you're spiritual. Amen? <laughs> Anyways. You know, it's not wrong to want to excel at things. It's not wrong to want to be used by God. It's not wrong for a young person in this room to say, Oh God, I want to be a preacher one day. And maybe even look at somebody in the church and say, I'd like to be like that, Lord. The Bible says, mark them uh, that you have as an example in the book of Philippians, chapter 3. It's good to set goals and marks and so forth, but it's wrong to tear someone else down to get that goal. It's kind of like, it's okay to fly your kite as high as you want to fly it. You guys ever fly kites when you're a kid? I was just recalling this not long ago. It just happened so long ago. I really got to get myself a kite and try it again. I must have been 10 years old. And I had this really cool kite. And that kite had an eagle on it with talons like this. And it was just, you know, I thought that was very cool. And I had this regular old string. And I, you know, in my place in Manitoba, there's lots of wind. And so I went down there. I remember going down my driveway. We had a little bit of a gully there by the creek. And I, I let that string. And I said, how far can this thing go? I had a lot of string. And I just kept letting it. So I could almost barely see the kite. And I could just feel it just pulling. You know, like, ooh, that wind is just. I thought, this is very cool. Until, ding. Kite's gone. <laughs> Folks, by the way, you let out your kite that far, you're never going to find that kite again. Because the wind is going to take it somewhere. You'll never find. We never I never found my little eagle to find another one. But you'll find it online somewhere. <laughs> I remember exactly what it looked like. So you can let out all your line. I want my kite to fly higher than anybody else's kite. You can accomplish that two ways. You can accomplish that by letting out all your string. Or you just cut the string beside you. And unfortunately, today, people are just cutting other people's strings. They think by, by making other people look bad, they, they look more spiritual. <laughs> well, only to carnal people. A spiritual person sees that. They see the depth of your carnality. Don't you be cutting other people's strings so you can ascend, <laughs> you know? Promotion cometh not from the east or from the west. But it cometh from the Lord, the Bible says. Amen. Let the Lord bring you where he wants it to be. He's got a place for everybody in this room. <laughs> but you've got to want it bad enough to deal with your carnality. You know what I think? When he ascends people, you know what he's doing, right? He's making you more visible. What does he want from you if he, may, he wants you more visible? <laughs> he wants you to be a greater Example, a greater influence. The higher you get, the more visible you become. You know, people, they say, well, I'd like to do this. And I, the first thing I tell them is, why don't you just take advantage of the platform you're on? If you will just work your platform you have right now, whatever that is, don't worry about changing positions, don't worry about other ministries, whatever you have right now, you give yourself 100% to being what God wants you to be right now. And I guarantee you that if you get to the boundary of that platform, if you, you've exhausted that, the Lord will say, you know what? Let's raise it up a little higher. But with that raise of a platform comes more visibility, comes more responsibility and more accountability. So you've got to be ready for that. So it's not a fleshly thing. A flesh, the flesh can't handle that. The flesh will crash. So as a pastor, sometimes I have to look at things and I have to say, okay, you know, I, I don't want to make just a position for someone to take it because they want to do something. Because my ultimate goal is for people to see Jesus Christ through that ministry. And so I'm sorry if it offends you, but sometimes I don't use certain people for certain things. 
Because they're carnal. Well, preacher, I don't like you anymore. Why are you carnal? Uh, be spiritual. I'm not saying be perfect. I'm not saying you got all your ducks in a row. I'm saying, for crying out loud, get up in the morning. Instead of crying about your life and being bitter at the people around you, start thanking God for the things that he's done for you. Start counting your blessings every morning. Say, God, you have really blessed my life. I'll tell you something, if that's going to rise up your heart in a way where God will say, I can use that. Something's got to change there. But all you know is that old-fashioned sourpuss, that ain't going to do it. Get up in the morning with a smile on your face. Pretend like you believe God's real, amen? Like you really believe the Son of God came from heaven and died on that cross for you. That He paid that ultimate price just for you. Boy, that'll bring a smile to your face. It should also bring a tear to your eye. As you look at how worthy you're not of what he's done for you. But that tear to your eye will change into a motivation to do good for him and a love for him. Lord, help me to do something for you because I love you. Knowing that you could fail. But knowing you're so dependent on him. That's spirituality, folks. It's not recognizing you're great. It's recognizing how bad you are and how much you need him every day. That's what a spiritual person is. Amen? Let's look at this final point. I want to look at the champion of the flesh. The champion. The flesh is a serious problem in our lives. It's destroying our marriages. It's destroying our families. It's destroying our friendships, our churches. It's destroying our potential to be used of God. If you'll one day stand before Christ as a saved man, but ashamed, it'll be because of the flesh. If you'll look at the Lord and be ashamed, it's because that flesh, that thing you battle with every day, got the best of you. And now I can't even look at the Lord that loved, and loved me enough to give himself for me. I can't even look him in the eye because how I didn't sacrifice for the Lord, how I allowed the flesh to control my life. If you receive no crowns from Christ, it'll be the flesh that controlled you. No rewards. Now you may be saying, well, no, it's because this person did this to me, made my life very hard, and because my life is so hard, I couldn't do everything God wants. That is a bunch of baloney. Baloney. What you have gone through has nothing to do with how God can use your life. In fact, the darkest times that you've ever gone through can become the greatest victories if you give it into the hands of God. Well, you don't realize what I've gone through. All I realize is this. The Lord, he maximizes in problem cases. So my situation is the worst. Well, then you ought to be the brightest star. You get that. But we got to stop our thumb sucking. We got to stop our belly aching. We got to stop our faithless life where somehow God is not great enough to make our life good when it's been bad. And start believing by faith what God says. All things work together for good to them that love God and are the called according to his purpose. Well, not my stuff. Yes, your stuff. <laughs> and like I said, if you're going to stand before the Lord one day and be ashamed and lose your crowns, it's not going to be because that promise wasn't true. It's going to be because you didn't love him and you didn't submit to his purpose. You kept making an excuse of what you've gone through, why you couldn't be what God wanted you to be, and never once in the scripture has he ever given you that reasoning. 
That was an imagination that has been exalted higher than the knowledge of God. And it's stolen everything from you. And it came from the flesh. Stop it. Well, you don't understand, preacher. I've been abused and that's tough. But God's got a plan for your life. You don't know my upbringing. I know I don't. <laughs> you don't know mine either. I stopped using it as an excuse a long time ago. In fact, I thank God for it. There's some things I know that people just don't know because of what I've gone through. I've seen a level of faithfulness in people that most people have never been able to witness. I've seen a reality You know how God can take a broken family, set them upon his rock. It's real. I thank God for it. You won't find me belly aching about my past. I thank God for it. And you ought to start thanking God for it too. It's going to release you from all of your pain. It's going to release you from all of the bondage. Just let it go. Stop blaming other people for how you feel. You feel the way you are because of you. Because you won't trust God. That's why. Amen. That's how good God is. Think about this. God is so good that the worst things in the world could happen to you. And there's never a moment where you cannot experience victory by making a decision. Never. If you got yourself somehow locked in that somehow I can't because of this, you're not speaking the Bible language. You're listening to lies. Amen. God is so good that you could have the worst life that you could possibly imagine. You can shine brighter than anybody else. And there's nothing, there's nobody has to get right with you. Nobody has to change your life. Nobody from your past has to say, oh, I'm sorry I did that to you. Nobody has to do anything. It has completely to do with your heart and your God. Right now. Right now. You don't need to get on the phone. You don't need someone's permission. Right where you are, you can access the throne of God and you can lay it at his feet. And he'll say, now let me use you. So many people are in bondage today because they cannot believe that God is so good that he created us like that. Now, if you've done wrong to others, you need to get right. If others done wrong to you, they don't need to get right for you to be right. Do you understand that? They can go to their grave being wrong, and you can still be right. That's the blessing. Amen? Never I'm in bondage to somebody else's decision. <laughs> I can always do the will of God. Wherever I am, no matter what's happened, I can always be in the center of the will of God. Amen? How are you feeling about that? Do you think you could let God do that for you? Do you think you could let, let go all that stuff that's been holding you back? I think you'd, you would do well if you could today. Spiritual Christian, how do we overcome? Notice in verse 22, for I delight in the law of God after the inward man. But I see another law in my members, warring against the law of my mind and bringing in me into captivity to the law of sin, which is in my members. So basically this is what he's saying. He's saying, 
in my mind, I see a great future. I see the law of God. I can see everything I want. But then I look down and I see another law. Warring. There's a war. In fact, that's the one thing that you need to understand here today. First one is this, that your deliverance is inward. It's not just outward. So if you want to overcome this, this is about dealing with you in here. For I delight in the law of God after the inward man. You have to allow the Lord to have a hold of this right here in your heart. Not just your mind. Oh, I know all this, preacher. Well, you know. There's a difference between knowing and trusting. This is the distance between. I know this, preacher. I've been in church my whole life. I know it. Knowing something doesn't change you. But taking what you know and trusting it, that changes you. That's why many people are double-minded. They're like here and here. They, they tell everybody, oh, I know. I know the Bible. I know what the Bible says. I know I'm supposed to behave. I know this is... You ask him, well, how do you live the Christian? Oh, this is how you live the Christian life. Then, I, then why aren't you? Uh, that's because this is different than this. This is what you default to when a spiritual man talks to you. Amen? You have all the answers. And you think because you have all the answers that somehow you're just going to overcome this thing, but it's not true. You'll go to your grave with all the answers. Well, I've read the Bible ten times. Well, that's great. I'm glad you have all the knowledge. But now let's make that knowledge wisdom. Let's allow that knowledge to sink into the heart for a while. Amen. See, when you can line up this and this, that's when the spiritual man emerges. For with the heart man believeth unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. That's why a lot of people that know Jesus aren't saved. I know about Jesus. I know what he did. I know what the Bible says. I know, I know, I know. But you've never trusted. It's never been in your heart. It's all facts to you. You know the answer, but you don't trust it. Someone says to you, if you were to die right now, where would you go? There's a slight hesitation. Well, I would like to think <laughs> something wrong here. But if in your heart you've trusted, someone says, if you were to die today, where would you go? I'd go to heaven. Well, how do you know that? Jesus. He did it all, man. And there ought to be a little tear that would maybe come out of your eye out of that too. Because it's real. And you've trusted. It's not just facts. It's not just a storage unit. It's not just a hard drive of information. It's a practical application in your heart. What God showed you in his word. Amen. Your deliverance is inward. Second thing is your deliverance is challenged. You know, the devil's not just going to sit by and let this happen. In fact, your flesh won't even sit by and let it happen. You're in a warfare. The Bible says, in Galatians 5, 17, for the flesh lusteth against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh, and these are contrary one to the other, so that you cannot do the things that you would. So this is what you need to admit. My deliverance is inward, and my deliverance is being challenged. I'm living every day with another army living inside of me. And that's why the Apostle Paul put it that way. He says, I'm serving God with the law of my mind, but I see another war in my members. He's saying there's another army going on here. You need to understand that if you're going to live in victory. If not, you're going to become proud. You're going to think that you've arrived and you have not. Because all that army needs is a little resurgence, a little extra rations, a little bit of extra ammo, and all of a sudden it starts rising up again and taking over your life. Amen? Here's some things about appetites. How many of you guys think that the more you eat, the less hungry you're going to be? 
Have you ever tried that? <laughs> yeah, you have every day. <laughs> the more you eat, the less hungry you're going to be. It's actually opposite. The more you eat, the greater your appetite becomes. See, this is the principle that you need to understand if you're going to overcome the flesh. See, bad appetites must be starved. I don't know about you, like I remember many years ago I quit smoking. And I thought that if I had just a few extra ones just in case. See, I didn't realize this principle that bad appetites had to be starved. See, the moment I feed an appetite, it begins to grow again. But if I will allow that appetite to be starved, the appetite itself starves. So if you want to quit smoking, you just throw the smokes in the garbage. And you don't put another one in your lips. <laughs> That's a novel idea. And guess what? If you can handle two or three days or four days or a week of nicotine addiction withdrawals, you'll find that after a week or two, you'll have less appetite for smoking than you've ever had in your life. Or whatever, pornography, drinking, cursing, I don't care what it is. Stop feeding it and it will die. Natural appetites have to be disciplined because there are appetites. You're going to go have lunch, aren't you? Your lunch today is an appetite. And so what you want to do is discipline that appetite. You just want to feed it just enough. You know that it takes 20 minutes for your brain to figure out where your stomach is. See, that's why many of us that eat fast after 20 minutes, oh, too much, because the brain got the message. So what we have to learn to do is discipline ourselves and keep those appetites under discipline. And that way we don't, they don't grow to a place that God doesn't want them to grow. Balance time with friends and family. So what you have to do is some, some, sometimes with young people, they get this appetite to be with friends socially. So what you have to do is teach them how to balance that. Because you let them just go with be with their friends all the time, that appetite's going to grow stronger, and you're going to find that you as a family will become less important to them as the days go by. And that's what happens with a lot of young people, and that's how divisions are made in the family. The devil knows that. So as a parent, you're helping your child with their appetites. The flesh is in them. They're, they're carnal, you know. So you have to say, hey, friends aren't bad, but what we need to do is balance how much time you're with your friends, because if you don't, you're going to begin to not want to be with your family. Oh, that would never happen. It's natural. Learn to eat less. Learn to stay away from sugar. <laughs> Amen. You've to balance yourself a little bit. Sugar is really a killer, by the way. Intimacy is for marriage only. See, young people, don't ever think that having an intimate relationship with somebody is for you outside of marriage. That is sinful. That's wicked. And it ought to be dealt with by whoever is in charge of that situation. Ought to jump on that and deal with it. Because they're destroying their lives. And what's happening is they're feeding an appetite. And if they're not careful, what's going to happen? And when they do get married, their marriage is going to flop. Because their appetite is way out of whack. Marriages weren't designed for that. That's what happens today with young people. They want to get married for the wrong reasons. And many times it's because they've already failed over and over and over again. They're addicted to pornography and different things like that. They're not ready for marriage. And you ought to put the brakes on that. Say, if you cannot discipline yourself in relation to the way you behave before marriage, you're not going to behave yourself after marriage. You think you just get right because you put a ring on your finger? No, you're just going to make another person's life miserable. Because appetites are out of control. Amen? So, and the third one is good appetites need to be fed. So, the Bible says in Galatians 5.16, This I say then, walk in the spirit, ye shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. 
So you're either fulfilling the lust of the flesh or you're walking in the spirit. And the Bible says, if I choose to walk in the spirit, that I will no longer walk in the lust of my flesh. So what do I do? So I don't like reading the Bible. Well, of course you don't because you've never fed that appetite. You think you're just going to love everything before you do it? People say, well, it's an acquired taste when you talk about certain things. What they're saying is, if you use this, you'll have a grow, your appetite will grow for it. Amen? So you have people that use that as an excuse. They say, well, I don't like reading my Bible. It's because they never do. <laughs> well, it's too hard to read. No, it's too hard to read the Bible because you've never disciplined your actually to read the Bible. And so you, what you've got to do is you've got to start feeding that appetite. Because with many of us, reading the Bible is a starved appetite. We're not even reading anymore. Because we filled our appetites with so many other things. The Bible, we didn't care about anymore. So you've got to make yourself read your Bible. And I'll tell you something. If you give yourself two, three, four weeks of reading your Bible, what you're going to find is the appetite for reading it will begin to grow. See, if you know this, it'll stop you from getting discouraged in the first week. Because you think there's something wrong with you. You think that somehow, I'll never like this. No, it's simply an appetite problem. So people go to church one time. <laughs> well, yeah, I know I went one. It was pretty good, but you know. <laughs> well, if you go home, after you've gone to church one time, if you haven't been going for a while, you're still in a dangerous position because you haven't fed it enough to actually want to go back. So you've got to make a decision. Hey, I'm going to go for two or three, four weeks. I guarantee it. You go to church faithfully for a month, you'll want to go on the fifth week. Because your appetite needs to grow. Amen? That's how it works. Good appetites need to be fed. Praying. It's hard to pray. But you're not going to, you're not going to learn how to pray if you don't start praying. Well, these people, they pray two or three hours. Forget about the two, three-hour prayers. Take five minutes. Pray for five minutes. And I'm sure you could come up with enough problems that you have, you could fill up five minutes. <laughs> Just talk to God for five minutes. And let him build your appetite. Amen. See, otherwise, you know, you read these missionary biographies. So this guy prayed for six hours on his knees. They were so, he was there so long, his knees became knobs. And that discourages me. <laughs> hey, man, that doesn't help me. I could never imagine that I would pray so much that my knees would actually make holes in the floor beside my bed. I, I, it's cool. <laughs> I give him credit and I hope he get a crown for it. But man, that's hard to imagine for me. And if you're honest, you'd say the same thing. So why did you just try five minutes? And then just keep praying. Keep talking to God a little bit here and there. Start building your appetite to talk to God. Amen? Start telling people about your salvation. Oh, I could never tell. Well, no, you could never because you never have. Amen? <laughs> So whenever you say, I could never, it's probably because you've never fed the appetite to do it. But I'll guarantee you this, when you start telling people about Jesus, there's something about it that feeds the appetite for it, and you want to do it more. Anybody that goes soul winning, you, you, you that have gone soul winning, door to door, how many times have you decided to go soul winning, but beforehand, you say, oh, I just really don't want to go. I would just like to stay home. Sure, it happens. Sure, it does. But I'll tell you something. The moment you get there and the first door you talk to, oh, let's go to another door. Because what's happening is you're feeding that appetite. And by the time you're done, it's like, man, let's do another street, <laughs> you know, because you fed it. Now you wait another whole week to tell someone about Jesus, you'll go through the same process again. So what you do is you learn every day to go give it a gospel track to somebody and just talk about Jesus to somebody or, you know, whatever, or whistle a hymn as you're, you know, what's that? Don't tell them, <laughs> you know, whatever. Just learn to talk about the Lord to people. 
every time you do, it's going to build your appetite to do it more. Amen? These are decisions we have to make. They're very, they're very definite decisions that we have to make. But we're always making our decision based on how we feel rather than based upon we, what we know is going to be the outcome if we'll just stick with it. Amen? Now, I know our time is up here. And I got more. So I can't do more. <laughs> Amen. But folks, take what I've said today and apply that to your life. I'll guarantee you, you take this appetite truth, this principle, and you apply that to your bad habits, to your normal, uh, natural habits, and the good habits. It's going to change you. Amen. Let's bow our heads. And next week we'll talk about the mind. We'll deal more with the issues of the mind. But those appetites. You know what they are in your life. You know what you struggle with. See, folks, sometimes you've got to delete those Facebook and Instagram and those things off your phone because you're feeding it too much. And it's getting out of control. And you know it. You know it's affecting your soul. It's keeping you from reading your Bible. It's keeping you from doing other things. So what you need to do is start putting your life into balance. What is it that the Lord has shown you that you have to starve out? What is it that you have to do to balance your natural appetites? And by the way, many times our natural appetites become out of balance because of our wrong thinking. We get triggered. People overeat because they got situations going on in their soul. And you may have to deal with some of those things. Or maybe you haven't been reading your Bible the way you ought to. Maybe it's a struggle for you to get up and go to church. And you want it to be more of a natural desire. Lord, I want to I wanna go to church. I want to have it in my heart to go. I want to get up and read my Bible, Lord. I want to be a spiritual Christian. Help me, Lord, make these decisions. You'll have to deal with your appetite.